If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. This is the Side Hustle Show with Nick Loper, episode 14. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where aspiring part-time entrepreneurs learn how to turn their side hustle dreams into reality. Because your nine to five may make you a living, but your five to nine makes you alive. And now your host, Nick Loper. Hey everybody, Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show. This is episode 14. Thank you so much for tuning in couple shouts at the top of the show for a pair of new five-star iTunes reviews. UW Bradley from NoFairWeatherFans.com says, definitely makes you think of how you can leverage your hobby or expertise into a real side hustle. And Mr. Travis Scott adds, best new podcast, very creative. Um, there's, that, there's that word again. So thanks so much, guys. Um, really mean it, and, um, and I love the support. Uh, today's show is all about a side hustle with an investment angle, buying and holding income-producing websites. It's a great opportunity to buy up some digital assets in your spare time and earn some cash flow on a monthly basis. You can get started for as little as $500, and typical annual returns um, based on the price of the site range from 33% a year to to 100% a year. Um, So you can compare that with stock market returns and see why this is a pretty lucrative and attractive side hustle. But like any investment, there are always risks involved and pitfalls to avoid. So I'm excited to have Chris Guthrie on the show today, an expert in the field who's going to walk us through his firsthand experience of buying and selling websites. All right, Chris is the founder of MakeMoneyOnTheInternet.com. It's always pushing the envelope, trying new projects, and sharing the results with his readers. He's the author of the uh, Kindle book, Buying Websites, How to Invest in Online Real Estate. Chris, welcome to the Side Hustle Show. Hey, thanks for having me, Nick. So let's get started with some of your early side hustle. I know you've been uh, kind of in the online entrepreneurial space for a lot of years. And so what, what kind of steps did you take to allow you to start making a living online? Yeah, so um, some of my friends like to joke that the only reason why I do what I do now is because I just hated working at a day job so much. <laughs> uh, but you know, basically, I I had started with uh, a website on it was like a video game forum, and I started in college, and I used um, some Halo videos that I created to kind of help market that site initially. And anyways, we, we can kind of flash forward a bit, but I mean, I I built up that site. And was just always trying to find new ways to just make money with websites. And my goal being to make enough to live on at least to start. And okay. it wasn't until um, you know 2009, early 2009, that I that I really started to 
make good money uh, with Amazon's affiliate program and got up to several thousand dollars a month while I was still working at my day job. So it was just pretty much get home uh, from work and and start working on that site. Oh, that's and, awesome. That's an awesome side hustle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that was the thing is that I, I, didn't ha- I didn't have the money or the luxury to just quit my job or the yeah, you know, I wasn't really just confident that I could quit and be and be fine doing something when I hadn't had a a real success yet. So, um, I built that site up, and I had a, a few other Amazon type sites that were making good money, and then got fired in uh, October of 2010, I think. Okay. Or something like that. Yeah, I think it was like 2010. It's been a long time now, because yeah, yeah, 2010. Because I know in later 2013 will be my. My four-year fireversary, as I like to call it. Okay. <laughs> um, but basically, you know, the guy I was working with knew that I was doing this stuff on the side and knew that I was making pretty good money. So I think he was, and it was a, a sales-type job. So I think he was like, oh, this guy's not focused. He's not bad for the team and oh. <laughs> trying really hard or whatever. <laughs> were, you, were you blogging, like, your income reports at that time? No, I wasn't doing that. I wasn't talking about making money. I just kind of, um, I started that blog after I lost my job okay, because okay. I was like, well, I was making this money um, from the side with less time than I needed to in my day job. Yeah, And so I started the blog because I knew I'd have time to run the other websites, make money, and then also talk about stuff that I was doing. Gotcha. So let's uh, kind of shift focus um, to the topic of today's show, which is buying websites as an investment strategy or a portfolio strategy to um, kind of supplement your other websites. Um, you can touch on the, you know, why is this an attractive, um, you know, activity for, for people looking to make money online? Yes. I mean, the, the main thing is that, you know, building a website from scratch is a lot of work and, um, it's a lot of really low paying or unpaid work in the start. But then the great part about it is that as you get bigger, you can still be making a lot more money but doing the same amount of work or even just marginally more work. Like one of my better sites before I sold it, um, and that was a site I sold in a six-figure deal, that site I had spent roughly the same amount of time on on it uh, every month, but it was making more and more money just because it was starting to get more traffic. And I mean that's kind of the value with websites is that you can be buying a website that uh, – it's getting a hundred thousand page views a month, but if you can get it to make two hundred thousand or to get two hundred thousand page views, then you can roughly double the income of the site. Uh, and there's not a lot of investments where you can buy something and you know double your money. Uh, but just like with anything, you've got to learn. You've got to know a lot about the website that you're buying, how it's getting its traffic, uh, where it got its links from, if they look like they're natural. So there's all those different types of things that you have to think about when you're. Um, when you're buying a site, but yeah, there's a lot of due diligence that has to be done, but kind of at a high level, what kind of um, potential returns or, you know, how are, how are websites usually priced? Yeah. So, uh, the better the website is, the higher the income multiple that it will sell for. And so the income multiple is typically based on, you know, monthly, uh, like a monthly number. So if every month the site is making a thousand dollars a month, then and it's selling for you know twenty thousand dollars, and that's you know twenty times monthly earnings. Okay. Uh, and so with websites, typically it's between uh, twelve months on up to thirty six months. That's the the normal range. But then there are websites that 
you know, have been around since the nineties <laughs> and those can sell for, you know, much higher or they're just, or you've built a site that's the best in its space. It's a market leader. And in that case, then you can be talking, you know, much, much higher multiples. Um, the broker that helped uh, sell my site, they specialize in selling seven figure websites on up because okay. they work with some, you know, much larger publicly traded companies to sell sites to them. Uh, and those guys, you know, they're typically doing even even more than that. So that's a question too. If you're building a site and you think about, you know, how big can this be eventually? Because you might be able to get to that point where you're up and over that hurdle and you can sell for a lot, you know, life changing uh, fu money. I guess you could say. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So there's um, the multiple is based kind of on the level of risk. Like um, a 12 month um, multiple would be a riskier buy than typically something priced at. Um, you know, a three or 36 month uh, multiple, right? Yeah, that's the idea. Okay. Right. So for, for these sites have been around for, for 10 years, they're well established. They've got a strong earnings history. They're going to command a higher price. Exactly. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about kind of, and we'll compare this to, to real estate because that's the um, analogy you use in your book is a buy and hold strategy versus kind of a, a fixer upper project. Is there a preference or an advantage to one over the other? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I like to buy sites that are high quality and then hold on to them because my whole strategy right now is to just be able to grow my monthly income from websites and ideally not be doing any of the work on them. So okay. I hire people to either write content or manage them or whatever it might be. Um, typically just contract labor is, is what I can get away with. Okay. And that's just my strategy because that way I can kind of build up, keep growing my monthly income, build up more and more websites. But another strategy could be to, you know, only buy within a specific area and to try and, you know, package all those sites together and sell them later uh, as a whole group. I know people that have done that. Okay. Uh, but yeah, there's a couple different. I know that the, there's also the flipping aspect, but that's not really something I'm as, as interested in because my my whole goal, and this is something that most people probably know about real estate too, is to make your money when you buy, you know, to buy a really good property. And if you just turn around and flip it really quick, then you might not be able to make uh, make all the money that you can if you're able to hold on to it for longer. So that's kind of why I prefer a buy and hold strategy. Okay. I think you bring up a good point too about, um, you know, nothing is truly maintenance free. Yeah. <laughs> like I, you know, I hear a lot of people and we were just talking uh, before the show about affiliate summit and, you know, I was talking with someone at the show last year and they're, they're all excited. Hey, my website is almost done. And it's like, well, <laughs> you know, your website, you know, and you're excited for it too and being polite, but it's like, well, your website is never really done. Right. It's like, it's kind of a living, um, you know, a living property. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's that's the idea is that it's kind of like this type of investing or whatever you want to call it isn't really the same as, you know, buying some stocks, you know, with stocks. But even then, if you're buying stocks, you can't really just buy and, buy and hold generally if you're trying to. Well, I guess you can do that, too, right? <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> if you're not looking like, at a 20 year window or 30 year window, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, I just use real estate because it's the closest example I could think of. But I mean, even with like tax law and other things, it's still a completely gray area. Like when you have to, how you have to write off the cost of a website, it's not like an expense because it's an income bearing asset. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of that that kind of goes on. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's with pretty much all websites, you've got to, there's always going to be some work involved. And so that's the kind of, the challenge, I guess, is that, um, at least for my strategy, because I like to buy and hold, you know, I'm, constantly getting more people to help 
manage the sites or, you know, to help write content or whatever. Um, and it's kind of getting to the point too, where now we're, I'm either, you know, thinking about scaling this as a business, you know, either getting people that I know that are successful and that already have money that would like to buy sites, um, and then have me and the team that I build up manage them and do that type of a strategy or there's, you know, or just keep on going along like I'm doing now, growing my income each year and just work from home and, and working with a lot of virtual people. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, an attractive model for sure, because you know, compared to the stock market, you know, your long-term returns are maybe 10%, but here, you know, we're talking based on the purchase price alone, a hundred percent ROI down to, you know, maybe a 33% ROI or an annual return, um, you know, that's an excellent, excellent return on investment for, for any asset. And even if it takes a little bit of, uh, a little bit of work, a little bit of upkeep, um, that's, that's probably okay. Yeah. And I mean, there's, and I should say too, cause there's a lot of stuff that I talk about in the book and also just on my website too. I mean, I'm not trying to come on here just to talk about that. Um, because I have blog posts that I've written where people can kind of see the steps I use to buy sites and what I've learned. But the challenge sometimes is that you, you can buy these sites and everything can look good, but you know, there's some aspect that you might've missed or just Google changes its algorithm or whatever. Like I bought a site, it's a long time ago now, I think maybe two years ago now I bought it for $6,500 and you know, now I don't, I only buy sites for $10,000 or more cause I want to focus on just bigger types of sites. Okay. Um, but this site I bought, you know, nine days after I bought it, the previous owner had had AdSense on the site since like 2006 or 2007. So it was a really long time. That was, you know, another kind of, um, feather in the cap, I guess, in okay. terms of making it look like attractive property. Uh, so he had been m- making money for a long time, but the content was kind of a little thin and, you know, it was just, I mean, it was a questionable type of site, but because it was selling for such a, a low income multiple, I was like, well, I'll take the risk because in the long run, I'll probably be able to, I'll probably be all right. But then nine days later, um, I got a, a message basically from Google that was like, um, we're this URL's banned. <laughs> wow. From, did, they give any, did they give any reason for that? I mean, it was talked, it talked about misleading ad placement and it was one of those things where you can't in like the sidebar of a website, you can't have, um, something that says latest news and then have a 120 by 90 pixel yeah. Yeah, yeah, Google yeah. link unit. So, uh, that was, there was one of those in there, but I just never really noticed it because I didn't, yeah, it was just a mistake. You know, it was back when I was more earlier getting started with this, but it was a mistake that I made. But then I was able to eventually get in touch with Google, got it reinstated, and then actually just recently resold that site. But it was for less than what I paid for it. But in terms of the money it made over the time, uh, I came out ahead. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. 
And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Okay. Yeah, that's um, that's pretty scary because, you know, Google is not really known for their customer service. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes a ban can just can be a lifetime thing. Um, okay. Okay. So did you think the buyer or the, do you think the seller had any indication that was coming down the pipeline or they're kind of just, you know, an innocent um, party to it? You know, in that case, it's kind of tough sometimes. You never really know with the sellers um, because... Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of a, a challenge, I guess. But I mean, then there's other sites that I bought that I've been more than paid for the cost of the website in less than a year of owning it, and then it's still adding uh, monthly revenue every month. Okay. So there's like there's a kind of a the, – the biggest thing I'd point out is that it is a risky type of investment strategy, and you want to know a lot about the site before you buy it. And – yeah, I mean, there's just, there's, as with any investment, there's a lot of risk. Same with real estate if you're trying to do that. And so yeah. you want to make sure that you um, feel confident about the asset you're buying. Okay, very good. So let's talk um, real quickly about where to find sites, and then we'll kind of jump back into the due diligence portion, what um, what kind of red flags you should look for, what, um, you know, what kind of numbers and metrics you need to be aware of uh, before making the purchase. Um, so where, if I, if I want to get into this market, where, where would I go to find sites for sale? Yeah. So there's a couple of different strategies you can take. Um, one is to go to the marketplaces that sell, that list websites for, for sale. And the largest one being flippa.com. Most people, if they're familiar with buying or selling websites are going to have heard of the site. Okay. Uh, I don't buy sites from there typically because I like to find sites that aren't for sale. Um, and the reason why I do that is because it's kind of like going to, I mean, you can either go to the department store and buy something off the shelf, or you can go to a garage sale and try and find something awesome. Or I don't know. I think that maybe that's not the best analogy because garage sale kind of brings up images of getting up really early on a Friday morning and (laughs) driving around and doing all this work. But well, it's kind of like a, a pre foreclosure strategy in real estate. Like you got to be proactive because once that, um, property hits the MLS, you know, then all the marketplace efficiencies, um, 
you know, come into effect and, and a swarm of buyers also have access to the same information you do. Exactly. And I mean, the, the, the main thing too is and the value that I try and provide is that, you know, people aren't stupid when they own these websites and they're making money. So I mean, I'm always very cognizant of the fact I'm not going to try and lowball someone because it'll one, I will be wasting my time when I'm emailing them. Um, but additionally, it's, it's more of like, what I tell people is, you know, I can wire you this money in 48 hours if you if we agree to a price to be done, and then they can bypass the whole um, auction process, going on Flippa, having someone buy, but then potentially they don't pay. And mm-hmm. if they're not based in the U.S. or even if they were, um, depending on the side uh, the size of the website being sold, it might not be worth any legal action to go after them to try and get them to to actually pay you for the site. So there's a lot of headaches sometimes that can come from listing your site for sale. A lot of, um, you know, it takes time to create the whole uh, report about the site, et cetera. And so there's, so that's kind of something that, that um, can come into play as well. So that's kind of, there's a couple of different things. So you got Flippa and you've also got just finding websites for sale and, and trying to buy from people that aren't actually listing them for sale. And, you know, with the latter option, it's a lot of emailing. And so, so there's a few different strategies um, when it comes to that type of contact. Uh, one thing, as an example, is that I was doing some research because I had a product, the site that I sold for six figures, that was a product review website about uh, netbooks. And when I was doing some more research, I was like, well, these are, these are pretty effective at making money. So I'm going to try and do some more product review websites. Okay. And I was doing some research for um, 3D TVs. And so I found a site that was ranking within the top as either the first page or the second page of Google for 3D TV reviews. I noticed it hadn't been updated in about six months, so I just contacted the person out of the blue and asked if they'd be interested in in uh, selling it. And it only took a few uh, back and forth emails, and eventually I bought it from him for 500 bucks. This is the first site I ever bought. It was like 2009 or 2010. I can't remember now. Okay. Um, so but looking, then I, looking for sites that haven't been updated a while in a in a niche you're interested in. So yeah. the previous owner has, that's an indicator they maybe have given up on it. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's a strategy is that, uh, you know, I was interested in product review type websites. And so I bought that site from him. He didn't even have any ads on it. I think he just kind of created the site, did some initial link building and then, um, got bored of it. It was, uh, the site's 3dtvreviews.org, but I don't even uh, bother with the site much anymore because, of how much I'm just trying to focus on larger websites now. But I mean, for the time I bought that site, put some ads or Amazon on it and some AdSense, I think as well. Okay. And then that holiday season, I think it made like $2,000 or something. So, okay. so you quadrupled your, your initial investment in a matter of months. Yeah. And the time that I've owned that site in total, I think it's made 7,000 something dollars. So wow. I mean, I made some good money on that site and I did some content, but now it's like if you go there, it won't even really be updated because um, it, it doesn't get as much traffic now. Google did some changes, and obviously I wasn't spending a lot of time okay. um, working with it. But, but yeah, still, no, that's, that's a good win. And like, like with any technology website, like it's going to take some upkeep to stay, stay up with the latest um, you know, products. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so very cool. Um, so we touched a little bit on... Um, you know, finding these sites that aren't really for sale um, and reaching out um, the people who aren't uh, keeping them updated. Any strategies for sites that are being actively maintained that you still want to target? 
well, so yeah, so there's a few different things. I think a lot of times you can just, you know, in your contact, I always include my phone number and I tell them that I've bought websites before and I give them, you know, I tell them roughly I try and once they actually reply, I tell them I, I make a price based on what it generates monthly because usually they'll have some backwards concept of their website being worth a million dollars because, you know, they made it and so it's so valuable. But, yes. <laughs> you know, that's not really... <laughs> yeah, I, I spent five years of my life on this. It's, yeah, okay. Yeah, so, I mean, but really you have to kind of break it down to the point that it's like the value is based on how much money the website's making. So and are you getting you're getting the owners to share that, that uh, data with you? Yeah, I mean, because if you can't really buy the website without knowing... Okay. You know, how much where the trap you're know, getting access to the Google Analytics, um, knowing how much money the website makes, and so that's why when you're contacting these people that you're, they're not actively trying to be able to sell their website, you're going to get a lot of people that won't even either reply to your email or that are just going to blow you off or whatever. Um, so that's where it's kind of one of the things where you could hire someone to to do those types of emails for you and say these are the types of websites I want you to find. Okay. Here's a list of thousands of keywords that are in that are. I'd, you know, that you could use to try and find websites. So yeah, there's, there's that. Okay. Perfect job for a VA. Exactly. Okay. So when you're, when you're evaluating a purchase, say you get a, um, so you get a bite, you know, on one of these emails, then from there, you know, what kind of data are you looking at? You mentioned Google analytics and the monthly earnings. Like how are you verifying the stuff to find out, you know, if he didn't do some like spammy link building or didn't do something to like, you know, artificially inflate the earnings for like the last month to make it look better than it was? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of things you can do. Uh, you can look, there's lots of different research tools that you can use just to, even just to evaluate competitors, not even thinking about trying to buy them. So tools like SEMrush.com, uh, SEO, well, I guess it's um, Moz.org now, I guess, or just Moz. Okay. Uh, what are the other ones here? Did they just change yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, they changed it. It's not SEO Moz anymore. It's, it's okay. <laughs> just Moz, I guess, which makes sense. Maybe they want to um, distance themselves from the just SEO angle since that's kind of always a moving target. But um, yeah, so like with SEMrush, for example, you can do a search to see um, what keywords the site's ranking for. And that will give you a rough idea of also how much traffic it's getting. You can also use compete.com as another site that will tell you. Uh, although compete usually estimates really low um, by quite a bit, actually. Sometimes they're high, but typically you'll see if the site's getting, you know, like a thousand searches on Compete, it might be actually getting 10,000 or 15,000. Oh, by like <laughs> an order of magnitude difference. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it can be, I mean, usually it's not that, that big, but it can be. Uh, and so you can, but once you get Google Analytics access, you can, and they can do that pretty easily. They just add you. They just need your email address for your Google account. And they can add you in as a as someone that can look at the reports. And they can go through and actually verify all the rankings um, that you're that you're seeing that they're seeing traffic for. Okay. Um, and then you can use also tools like um, ahrefs.com. It's A-H-R-E-F-S.com. That's like another link analysis tool where you can see where they've gotten their links from. So you can kind of generally tell um, once you actually go to the sites that are linking to the site you're interested in buying and see, you know, okay, are these, do these look like they've been manually created and are just in generally really crappy or they look like they came naturally? And so that's kind of what you look for. And, and every t- anytime you run into something that looks like it's, you know, a little 
a little questionable. That's just like another indicator that this is going to be a, a higher risk potential purchase for you. And then you can always decide, okay, this isn't something I want to try and risk or no, I think that it will be okay. Okay. Higher risk because it's liable to be um, slapped down with the next algorithm update. Yeah. I mean, that's a challenge too when you're buying websites is that even if a site's really good, it can still get slapped down. I mean, it's just, but it's kind of like thinking about the expected value is like most of the time it's going to be fine. So if you make this purchase at $10,000 and in most cases you should make, you know, X amount above that, then the decision is you should buy this. <laughs> okay. Right, right, right. So is there any other like red flags that, that you've seen like when you're doing your, your due diligence that you can share? The biggest, the biggest thing is um, also you can also look at the content quality. There are tools that you can use to see if the content's been duplicated. Off the top of my head, I can't remember the name of that tool now. It's um, uh, Copyscape? Yes, that's the one. It like, okay. starts with copy something. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so there's a lot of, it just sounds like, because it really is, there's just a lot of these random online tools you can use to look at um, a website. And so that's kind of what you're doing is you want to also, you want even like read the content too. Does it look like someone wrote it or does it look like it was like spun content? Because you can kind of generally tell if someone put it through a content spinner. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a lot of just looking at the site to see if it's actually going to be there. But I mean, all that type of stuff, you don't really need to do until you get to the point where someone's like, yes, I'm interested in selling. And you've already kind of got a rough uh, a, not even really agreement, but a rough estimate of what they will be willing to sell it for and what you would be willing to pay for it. Okay. Once you get to that stage, then then you'd want to go through all these things. But even before that, you want to just do a, a little bit of analysis to see if the site looks wor- like it's worth buying. Right, like is it even worth emailing this guy because it looks like crap or whatever? Yeah. I mean, those are the main, they, ma- the main types of things that I look for. Um, link quality, content quality, um, where it's getting its traffic from, you know, if it's all from search, you know, how risky is that? Can you add an email list? And so that's like another thing too, is looking at what you can do to improve the site. You know, where are the ads, ads placed? Can you improve them? Um, like a site, a site I bought the other day, I just put another extra ad send unit at the end of the, at the end of the page on all okay. the pages of the site. And that added like an extra 20 bucks a day or something. Wow. Really, really simple thing to do that, uh, for whatever reason, previous owner might not do it. Maybe they just personally think, oh, it's too many ads. But if you're trying to make money, then that's not as... <laughs> yeah, then, then that's not a concern. Okay, okay, yeah. interesting. Is there anything, like, I'm glad you brought that up. Is there any other, like, kind of quick fixes, like uh, like you mentioned, just adding another ad block to um, to kind of pump up the value? Or is it more, um, is it, you know, some more involved fixer-upper projects? Yeah, so, I mean, there's the two main things you can do with the site is, you know, increase the traffic or increase the revenue. And so increasing the revenue can be easy if you if the site primarily makes its money from advertising, if you're looking at where the ads are placed. So like I'll give you another example. I bought this site, it's called copycatcrafts.com. And I this is a public case study I did on my site was just to show here's a site that I bought. I have no nothing about do yourself crafting. Okay. I don't even <laughs> you know it's not my demographic. It's not what I'm interested in. But I'll buy the site and the reason why I bought it is because it was getting, you know, a lot of traffic and and I could see that where the ads were placed and where it was getting, you know, a few hundred bucks a month or something. They're they're up above the content, you know, up above the header and then also in the sidebar. So there's nothing inside the content area. 
And so I knew that just simply adding an ad unit inside the content area would instantly increase the revenue because I've seen that on websites that I own now and also just because it makes sense, right? I mean, people are more likely to be looking at the content area of your site than the navigation area or the sidebar. Right. And so that's where your ads are going to make the most money. And okay. that holds true for really any niche. So I put the ad in there and also did um, added in like vibrant media text ads. That added a few extra hundred dollars as well, although that one hasn't been earning as much recently. Um, and so I've started testing out another one as well, like Conterra, I think. But it was simply just, in that case, just adding in new ad placements was a way to make more money with the site uh, or putting them in different areas. Okay. In that case, you may be able to find something that's undervalued for its potential, like for its for its traffic, right? Like if it's, yeah. if it's got huge traffic numbers, but the revenue numbers aren't there, you know, maybe that's, that represents an opportunity, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. Um, kind of without getting too technical, like how difficult is it to kind of execute the transaction? You mentioned, uh, paying through, through escrow. So, you know, both parties are protected there, but like, how do you actually transfer the assets, like the files and, and everything like that? Yeah. So, uh, typically you can do what I usually do, um, if I don't have, so if you have access to someone's server, their actual root type access, uh, if if they're on a dedicated server, they'll have that. But if you don't have that, or sorry, sorry, so if you do have that, it's pretty easy. There's actually a thing within cPanel, um, which is the operating system for the server, that you can kind of. You said not to get technical, but I'm kind of getting technical. Okay, that's okay. Well, <laughs> cPanel is okay. Yeah, but you can transfer that over to um, the other server pretty easily if you have root access to both servers. But you know, if you don't, then you can also do things like just ask your hosting company what they'll charge to transfer the site for you. And if it's just a WordPress site, it's not that much. I think I had HostGator transfer a host or website to me for ten bucks once. Oh, okay, so not it's not an issue. Okay. <laughs> yes, I mean you can you can do that, but so the actual files it's it's not too difficult. Um, and there are different types of cloning scripts you can do now where you could clone a, a a backup of the site while it's still hosted on their server, and then and then you know move it over to yours. Uh, but the main thing too is just to make sure that they keep the site up and hosted even after you've um, transferred over to your server. Uh, and then you can kind of set up the site even though it's offline on your end. Okay. And then when you're, then you can change the DNS information at the domain registrar to point at your new server, and okay. then it will kind of be transferred then. Right, and or you've got to swap out all of the ad blocks to to your um, IDs. Yeah, and so that's another thing too is that if you're say the site's making money from Amazon's affiliate program. You can just, and it's a WordPress plugin, or WordPress website, rather. Mm-hmm. You can install a WordPress plugin. It's free called Search and Replace. And you can just find a, you just ask them what their uh, Amazon affiliate ID was. Do a search and replace for its, like, you know, and you just replace it with your ID. Okay. So that's what I did with a site recently. But um, there's some other affiliate programs um, that are more difficult. Um, AdSense also is one that's really simple to just change. Okay. Well, very cool. Chris, um Wrapping things up, what's your number one tip for uh, Side Hustle Nation? Get started working. <laughs> Do something. <laughs> I mean, I think that the the challenge that people have is if you look at people, especially in the marketing community, they have like their income reports and they're talking about all the stuff they're doing. And it's easy as a listener or a reader to think, oh, that's great. I wish I could be doing that. Or that's or it's like just by reading what they're talking about or what we're talking about is but in some way, you know, doing something. But eventually, you've got to stop learning and start earning, and you've got to like 
start doing something. I mean, for me, it's I, I failed a lot before I actually started making money. And now since then, it's a lot easier to either fail faster or I'll have more successes um, more frequently than than failures because I've been doing it for so long. But the biggest thing is to just get get started. I know it sounds kind of cheesy, but it really is true. I mean, you oh, just got to just great. get started. <laughs> I love I love stop learning and start earning. I'm going to use that. <laughs> Very cool. Okay, so if anybody wants to uh, learn more about Chris, check him out at um, makemoneyontheinternet.com. Uh, Chris, anywhere else uh, people can can find you? Yeah, I mean, I've written some Kindle books, um, partly because, you know, I could just publish stuff on the blog, but it's nice to kind of put it all into one area. Um, they're always cheap. They're all under two ninety nine. but just chrisgothreebooks.com is where I write um, okay. Kindle books about different things that I make money with. Awesome. Very cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing all your wisdom about um, buying and selling websites. Thanks, Nick. Glad I could be here. And uh, if people want to reach out, go ahead and email me. I'd be happy to, to reply. Perfect. Uh, talk to you soon. Thanks. All right, ton of links mentioned during the show. As always, uh, head over to uh, the SideHustleNation.com website. You will find uh, all of those at SideHustleNation.com slash episode 14. Um, all right, how awesome is that? Time to stop learning and start earning, baby. Well, I'm all about taking action, but I also believe that learning never really stops. It only accelerates once you get off the sidelines and get into the game. So one thing uh, Chris touched on really briefly, I wish we had more time to talk about, was expanding his website buying portfolio and uh, potentially bringing in outside investors. And that's something I definitely would be interested in if he can pull it off because um, I know it can be pretty time-consuming to find sites to buy, email the, um, the owners, and do all this due diligence. So if he can set up the systems and put a team in place to make all that happen and investors can still earn a great return without all the work, I would be all about it. So what do you think? Would you invest in that kind of uh, new age hedge fund? Um, so either way, this conversation has given me kind of a newfound confidence to approach site owners that aren't necessarily looking to sell, maybe just you know, cool, cool sites I come across over the course of the day. I mean, I'm on, I'm online uh, all day anyways, right? Um, so it was probably about a year ago, uh, a friend and I were spending a lot of time browsing the listings on Flippa, looking to get into this game, but never really found anything worthwhile. So I think if you can find a site that is um, maybe related to a niche you're already, you're already in, maybe it could use a little uh, TLC, uh, maybe there's an opportunity there. And that's actually something that uh, Robert Farrington in episode 10 um, mentioned, looking for complementary sites to kind of expand your reach and income potential within, um, a certain, within a certain market. All right, guys, that's it for me. Thanks so much for listening. Um, time to go hunt down some attractive sites to buy and uh, work on building that elusive passive income. So until next time, go out there, make something happen, and I will see you next week in episode 15. Thanks for listening to the Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com. 